We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Seahawks Man to Man podcast, powered by The Athletic. Shout out to the company. My name is Michael Sean Dugar. I'm here with my co-host, Christopher Kidd. Make sure you follow us both up on the tweet machine. You guys know where to follow me. So I'm just going to go straight to the YouTube. You know, shout out everyone who's watching us on YouTube. Seahawks Man to Man on YouTube. Make sure you subscribe. Even if you're somebody who listens to the audio, just slide over to the YouTube, hit the subscribe button, come right back to Spotify or whatever. Uh, Chris, talk to him. What is good, everybody? It's your boy, Christopher Kidd. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at CKIDD206. And that's CKID206. All right. Our draft coverage continues with a very, very, very special guest. He has leveled up since we had him on the show last. Very happy to have this brother on to talk. We have Jordan Reed, NFL draft analyst for ESPN. Jordan, welcome back to the podcast, man. What up? What's going on, fellas? Happy to be back. And you guys, I'm so happy for you guys' success. And it's always a pleasure being on here. And I should have introduced you as North Carolina Central's uh, finest. My, that's my bad. I, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to get to get that in there, man. Because you're for uh, I'm introducing the show. You know, we got this is going. Jordan's going to do our quarterback episode. You know, we've, we we're going to try to break down different position groups. And what better to have a former quarterback? You know, on the show, man. I know you got a lot of opinions on these QBs. This is the first time, you know, since the Civil War that the Seahawks have needed a quarterback man. early. It, it feels like been a while. So uh, let, let's dive right in. You ready, Jordan? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, all right. I want to start with just we'll start broad real quick. I like doing that. Um, you know, I, I talked to John Schneider about the, the the class. You know, I said this class isn't highly touted as previous years. And John Schneider basically just cut me off. I was like, whoa, 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 this is a good class. You know, when he went on this whole like soliloquy about the you know how classes are ranked and who influences that yada 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 but where are you on the quality of this quarterback class relative to some of the previous years we've seen well i will say this we've been spoiled with really good quarterback classes over the past few years and what's so different about this class is that there hasn't been that one guy that's jumped out and announced himself as qb1 and over the past three years we've had that guy whether it's kyla murray in 2019 Joe Burrow two years ago and last year, obviously, with Trevor Lawrence. We've had that guy that, that has just jumped out and said, hey, I'm QB1 of this draft class. Nobody else is going to be ahead of me. But this year, not only do we not know who's going to be the number one overall pick, but we don't know who the first quarterback 
is going to be selected. So I think that's what makes this group, quote unquote, underwhelming for a lot of people. And then it's just so hard for a lot of people to get into the draft process is if there isn't a quarterback at the top. I personally like this group. I'm not in love with this group, but I think there's some starters eventually in this group. You mentioned you like this group, and for the most part, a lot of people don't see it that way. A lot of people are calling it a mid-class, but I want to look at something that Russ wasn't comfortable doing, and that was throwing over the middle. Do any of these top prospects or the guys that you like have that ability to spread the ball over the middle of the field and have that as a threat, especially with weapons like DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett? Uh, Yeah, I mean, quite a few of them do. Willis isn't overly great over the middle, but – Desmond Ritter, I think he's one that is probably the most consistent of the bunch over the middle. Kenny Pickett, I would argue that he's very consistent over the middle of the field, too. So with this draft class, though, it just depends on the type of flavor that you like. Similar kind of the wide receivers that a lot of these guys are so different. You have your mobile types that have strong arms. You have your mobile guys that don't necessarily have a strong arm. And then you have a combination of both like Malik Willis. So it's just a matter of what type of quarterback that you like. And then the one that you trust as far as on that spectrum, as far as unlocking. Uh, the next level of his development. And then with all these quarterbacks, it just depends on landing spot. I think that's so key, especially when you talk about not only first round, but these second and also later round guys too. You guys have had experience with Russ about how his situation was so great early on, especially with the heyday of the Seahawks in the sense of where he didn't have to do a whole bunch just because the defense was so great. The running game was so good of where they were just winning games with Russ. But I think what takes a quarterback to the next level is that, and I think that's what is so different about this class is that, in, a, in, in the NFL today, you have to have a quarterback that you can win because of, not one you can just win with. And what I mean by that is the Patrick Mahomes, the Josh Allens, those guys, you can win because of those guys. But on the opposite end of the spectrum, there's some guys in the league that you can win with, like a Jimmy Garoppolo, Jared Goff. You guys had experience with him when he was with the Rams. Those are more of the types that you can win with. So I think if you want to be the team that's in the upper tier or the, uh, the upper echelons, I should say, in the NFL, you have to have that quarterback that you can win because of. Yeah, I think the NFC West has been, there's been plenty of case studies. The NFC West has just been so great because these teams have pushed the limit of win with. Like Jimmy G got to the Super Bowl, you know, uh, and almost got to another one. Jared Goff got to the Super Bowl, and both the quarter, both the uh, head coaches there looked at them and said, all right, well, Let's move on from that, you know, because it's like yeah. we just couldn't do it. You know, they traded the house in San Francisco to go get Trey Lance and basically traded the house as well to go get Matthew Stafford. It was like and that's the difference. It's like there's big differences between like Stafford and Goff. But at the same time, it really is just the one guy you win because of because he can throw a no look pass in the Super Bowl. <laughs> and, you know, and a guy so, like Jimmy G might throw his uh, he might throw it with his eyes closed in the Super Bowl. Like there's a difference. It wasn't a no look. Everybody no? keep. No, it was not. Everybody keeps saying that. So I'm a I'm a former quarterback, obviously. So what happened with Stafford is that, and you guys will learn this as defensive backs talk to you. Defensive backs lie when they say they're looking at the eyes of the quarterback. That's a bold face lie. They're looking at the face mask of quarterbacks. Mm. So with Stafford, he was looking at his peripherals. He was looking at the corner of his eye. He knew exactly where he was going to go with the ball, but the defensive back was looking at his face mask. Mm. And that's why he came down on the route. But in the corner of his eye, Stafford already knew where he was going with the football. So it's not a no look, but I just let everybody ride with it whenever they say ah, I just let gotcha. Stafford have his Dang, shot. man, that makes me – that's like learning <laughs> Santa's not real, man. I've been calling that a no look for about two months. So, so is that the case all the time with, like, uh, Mahomes' no looks, uh, Stafford's other no looks, quote-unquote? Is it always just a face mask kind of – you know what I mean? Like you just now described? Mahomes, Mahomes is completely different. Like, he'll throw the ball completely blind, but that's what makes him so good Mahomes, in okay. a sense. Yeah, he just – Mahomes is a different breed. Like, he does stuff like – 
I coach some young quarterbacks here in, in North Carolina. I tell them, do not watch Patrick Mahomes just because there's <laughs> only three people on the planet that can do the type of stuff that he does. And that's him, Josh Allen, and Aaron Rodgers. Nobody else can do the stuff that they do. So do not watch film of them just because you'll fool yourself. I, I do think that's an important thing, not necessarily just about Mahomes, but just about outliers in general in sports. Like there are like I think a lot of people are convincing themselves whenever their quarterback is bad young, they're like, oh, he can just make a Josh Allen leap. It's like, well, no, 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 no. He probably won't do that. Like that's that's an outlier in basketball. I think Steph you, you want to tell kids not to watch exactly. Steph Curry because it's going to shoot it from half court. And, and that's like, not no, good. Kids, stop, 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 stop. Get your <laughs> right, butt in exactly. the paint. You do know? the mic and drill. <laughs> yeah, you know, like actually learn learn the game. That's it, that's a good point with Mahomes. Yeah, you watch Mahomes, you're like, oh, I can do that. And it's like, no, <laughs> I'm gonna try no look. No, you're gonna be throwing it across your body. You know, like yeah. Mahomes is a lot of things that would get you in trouble if he wasn't otherworldly. Uh, you know, with with his arm talent. Well, let's let's talk. Let's talk. Let's dig into some of these guys. You know, early on in the draft process, I kind of talked myself into Malik Willis, mostly because. I saw like if if they wanted to replicate like a cheaper version of Russ, not saying Malik will be as good, but there were some similarities I saw, good and bad. Like dude takes a lot of sacks, really strong arm, can be part of the run game, you know, like a heavy part like Russ was uh, early on his career. Like you know, I think what it, when Malik led the FBS in sacks taken this last year, you know, Russ is damn near up in sack percentage every year. So he's giving me some young Russ vibes. So I talked myself into him. Am I seeing that right? Are there some young Russ vibes in there? Yeah, I mean, you're spot on with that. Now, he's not quite as accurate as Russ was coming out when he was coming out of Wisconsin. But I think Malik, the, the thing about Malik is that his surroundings were so bad that he created some really, really bad habits as far as mm. taking sacks, playing hero ball that I like to call. And it's kind of like he just didn't have any help out there. And he didn't play with a whole bunch of draftable guys in a sense. They probably have a running back and a receiver possibly that could get drafted in the future. But outside of that, if you watch the old Miss game, like – it's very rare that I feel bad for a quarterback in the game. <laughs> he was – I mean, he just took a beating in that game, and there was nothing he could do about it. And it's kind of like you don't want to unfairly knock him for some of the things that he was trying to do, but he was just trying to survive out there. And that's what happened a lot of times with him throughout the season. Now, he did have a bad stretch of games. I think it was like three or four towards the tail end of the year of where you were just like, man, what in the hell is he looking at right here? That happens a lot of times with Malik Willis, but he'll come back two plays later and he'll throw a 60-yard bomb down the right sideline right in the hands of the receiver. So it's just kind of like you try to find that fine line with him. And that's why I said he's probably not going to be ready early on. But I think you have to have like a Jalen Hurts type of offense of what they run in Philly early on with him where you want to get him in the quarterback design run game. You want to run him a little bit to get him comfortable in the game. But I think he can be a starter on the next level. But there's going to be some rough patches if you start him early on. But if you let him sit, you put him on like that Trey Lance type of plan a little bit. You let him sit and learn behind an entrenched starter. I think you can have a high level starter eventually. So when I when I hear that, that actually makes me scared of having. This is probably why I've talked myself out of him since then. Uh, is that Seattle's O lines have been pretty bad for the better part yeah. of a decade. So if unless they're just loading up on linemen, maybe prior to taking him, he'd be a scary pick for Seattle then, like at nine or something. Yeah, he would. I mean, it was. I mean, it's great to have a mobile quarterback when you have a bad offensive line, but that can be bad for a rookie quarterback just because there's going to be some scars that he might never overcome, especially when you're talking about speeding up his process. And a lot of times with mobile quarterbacks, they try to use that mobility a little bit too much as a crutch as the physical part of the game or the mental part of the game, I should say, catches up uh, to the physical part. But 
with Malik, I'm just hoping that he can go to a situation of where he can sit for a year just because I think it would be a disaster if he has to play right away. Like, if he goes to the Panthers, it's not going to be good at all. Like, mm. it's going to be really, really bad just because they have a bad offensive line, and then they're going to need him to play right away. So hopefully he can go to a situation that helps him. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong here. From what I've gathered, Malik had a system where a lot of things were determined pre-snap. Um, and if that is the case, what have you learned about his ability to t- dissect things and command an NFL offense, a traditional one, so to speak, where you are going to have to make post-snap reads? He's a little inconsistent with that right now as far as reading coverages, seeing safeties where they're aligned, just attacking coverages as far as exhausting progressions, getting to his second, third, and even his fourth option and hitting his check down. And I'll never forget, I actually wrote this down when I was at the Senior Bowl, and the Lions had him. And their quarterback coach is Mark Brunel. And he went through, Malik Willis went through an entire progression. He got to his fifth option, and he threw it to his running back. And Mark Brunel got fired up. Like, I had never seen him fired up like that, even when he was playing. And just hearing Malik talk about it after practice, he was like, he was happy that I got to my running back, my fifth option, just because that's something that I didn't show a whole bunch on tape. So just seeing little stuff like that, I think he's going to have to learn on the next level. And then just identifying safeties and then just going with what he sees out there a little bit more consistently. So what happens a lot of times with him is that he treats everything like man coverage. So whether it's a one-on-one matchup (laughs) or his own coverage, he's going to throw the ball to that dude. So I think that's something that he definitely has to clean up. So he'll have a throw. Yeah. He'll have a throw where there's a safety in the middle of the field and he's looking at the go to the left or the right side the entire time. And he'll still throw it. And it's like a punt to the safety. He'll just catch it like this, like it's a punt, like he never sees him. So that's why I said he just sees everything like his man coverage. So he just needs to clean up some of his processing a little bit. And that comes with time. He's only been a starter for two years, and I think that's something that you have to take into account with him, that he's still a little bit raw at the position. So, I mean, he he's a great – like, if you're a coach, he's the project that you would love to coach. Speaking of projects, the consensus is that he he might need a redshirt year. Not everybody can beat Patrick Mahomes, though, as you just mentioned. Not everybody can do the no-look pass because he is different. What exactly does Malik need to improve in that year if he's on the bench, per se? Just learning the the details and the nuances of the position process and reading coverages, um, getting through and exhausting progressions, understanding how to get to your fourth, fifth, and those last options. And then just in general, how to play the position. There's so many different things that he's yet to learn as far as being in that offense. They didn't have a whole bunch of progression-based type of things. And then also just being able to sit back and learn the actual game that's something that he hasn't been able to do a whole bunch he was really forced into action at liberty obviously he wanted to play there but he didn't have a whole bunch of help either so i'm hoping he can go to a situation of where he has some help like seattle would be great from just a weapons standpoint with dk then also tyler lockett and then getting the run game back going i think seattle would be a good spot for him as long as they're able to fix the offensive line Man, it, it's really crazy reading a lot of these guys scouting reports and just hearing people talk about them. How how many of these offenses are just like, hey, hey, look, your one, your first read's gonna be open. And it's probably gonna be a sixty yard bomb, especially if you play <laughs> yeah. <in> twelve. <laughs> I swear, it just feels like some so these offense not simple. You know what I mean? Like a lot of these offenses, they don't. These guys can be prolific without even having to go to a third read. You know, unless you run up against like Bama and the CFP. Yeah, I'll never forget just hearing Deshaun Watson talk about his first training camp and not to bring him up, but just using him as an example of where he had never called a play in the huddle before. So when he went to call the play in the huddle, he was like, like, what do I do? 
And it took him like three <laughs> or four times to call a play in the huddle just because if you think with college, everything is signal-based. Everything's signaled into the quarterback. Everything is pretty much rudimentary for him of where it's already laid out as far as what they need to do. The the signal will tell you what side of the field to read. It'll tell receivers where to line up. It'll tell you the snap count. So he's never had to do any of that in the huddle before. So I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, I had that same experience with uh, obviously not as talented a guy, but it was Alex Magoo out, I think, of Florida International, maybe. Yeah. Um, in 2018, he's the only other quarterback the Seahawks have drafted since taking Russ. And he told me that during camp. He was like, yeah, you know, calling a play is hard. And I was like, what do you mean? He was like, well, I've never done it. I was like, you never. This is only my second year covering the NFL. So I'm like, what do you mean you've never called a play? Like, you played quarterback for four years. <laughs> it's not your job. And he, was, he said exactly what you just said, Jordan. It's like, I didn't have to. I looked to my. I look to the sideline court coach taps his elbow and I know the whole thing, or, you know, it's a, something, something so simple. And honestly, that's a decent segue into the guy I've, I've since talked myself into, which is Desmond Ritter. Um, Cause from what I've gathered, he does have some of those responsibilities. I mean, still in a college offense, but does have, so does have some of that, like, all right, you're running a pro style scheme in that way. Just solely on that. Does that give him the highest floor of some of these guys in this group? Yeah, I think so. Him and Kenny Pickett. And it's not just an experience thing. It's just the responsibilities that they had or what they were tasked with in their offense. You see him setting protections. You see him audibling in and out of plays. You see him getting through and exhausting those progressions. And he just he's so good with what I like to call his process of elimination. And when he goes to that next option, he's not comfortable with that first or the second second option. You're like, okay, I see why he went to that option. Okay, I see why he went to this option. He didn't feel comfortable about it. Or if he got the ball out quick, you understand like why. There's just there's just answers to everything that he does. And I think that's one of the better qualities about Desmond Ritter. Now, the scary thing I will say about Ritter is that just the ball placement with him is just so sporadic. Like he'll have a beautiful throw. And then he'll come back and he'll throw in in the dirt. And it's like, man, like what happened for you to go from doing that to throwing this pass in the dirt? So I think if he's able to clean up just the ball placement aspect with him, I think he can eventually turn into a starter. Is that fixable? It's accurate. I've, I have a theory, mostly from Mike Leach, who mentioned that when I covered him at Wazoo, he was kind of the impression. I don't know if he's come off of this, that how accurate you are can only change. But so much. I think his theory was like maybe something about your brand or your eyes or your timing. Like how much do you think accuracy can improve? It's honestly a case-by-case basis depending on the quarterback, and it can be something so simple. Like with Josh Allen, it was just his arm angles and just his hip his hip alignment. Like little things like that can be so beneficial to the accuracy of a quarterback. And then the thing with Josh Allen was just everything was a fastball for him. So he, what I like to call a flamethrower, like a guy's five yards away and he's trying to put a hole in his chest with the (laughs) ball. And it's just like, dude, just calm down. (laughs) You don't have to throw it that hard. So with Ritter more so, I think it's more of a footwork thing. And then also an arm alignment with his elbow. Sometimes he gets that elbow a little bit too high and it ends up selling on him or it just completely goes down uh, into the ground. So I think that's something that a lot of coaches, once again, would be willing to work on with him just because he has, and he's so polished with so many other compartments or departments of his game that I think he eventually can be a starter. But once again, it just all revolves on if he can improve that accuracy. Yeah. So uh, part of the reason why I've talked myself into Desmond is because it's like the opposite of Malik. Like I see the young Russ stuff with Malik. I'm like, Oh, maybe they want to just do a cheaper version of that with Desmond. I see more of a guy who operates within the structure of the play, less improvising. Honestly, I'm not even going to, I think I said this when we had Danny on, like I saw Desmond throw some backside digs and I was like, Oh, okay. Draft him then. Cause it was just like the throw that Russ wasn't uh, w- willing to make there. Like how, if, if I'm just like looking at that part of his game, like, Hey man, this guy's going to stand in there operating the structure and 
and throw that backside dig if he needs to. Is is that enough for me to feel for Seattle potentially to feel comfortable? Like, hey, we, he can he can be in a Shane Waldron Rams kind of system that helped Jared Goff succeed. Like, can he do that? And this is why I think he's going to end up being a first round pick. Somebody's going to talk themselves into Desmond Ritter, just like what you have done, Mike, just because the floor is so high with him. And I think he's one of those quarterbacks where somebody's probably going to trade into the back half of the first round uh, to come up and get him, kind of like a Teddy Bridgewater, or since not calling him Teddy, but just talking about the situation of where Teddy got drafted. I think that could happen with Ritter. Um, but I mean, the floor is so high with him and then he's already walking through the door. So polished with some of the aspects that we've talked about already. You very rarely see quarterbacks going from front side to backside dig. You just don't see that a whole bunch just because with those college offenses, half of the field is cut off in a sense. And then everything is sideline to sideline and college offenses. How quickly can you get the ball out? How many points can we score? So it's very rare to see somebody actually going through a progression and then successfully getting through it and throwing the ball accurately like Ritter does. Yeah, I, mean, I don't even think it's I and mean, I know that's a college thing too, but you'll get guys in the NFL who need half field reads. You know, I've yeah. talked to guys who work with Russ who was like some of his best stuff is that deep play action where he's reading the half field concept where you know you put DK on something deep and Tyler on something maybe intermediate and his leak out is Will Disley or Chris Carson, and they're all within the right side of and that's a Hall of Fame guy. That just shows you how hard playing quarterback is. <laughs> like it's it's just gotta be like it's so far away the hardest thing in the game. Like it's yeah. not even it's 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 not even close. Uh so yes, I've talked myself into Desmond. I think by the time we're done, Chris will talk. I'll talk Chris into him. I'm laid up. We talked off Jordan. We all talked okay, off. We'll, wax. We'll, get to, we'll get to Chris's guy. We'll get to Chris's but guy. We'll, it's all good. Um this uh, uh, let's move to a, another guy. Um in Matt Corral, um, uh, guy, if I had to pick, I'd probably go Desmond. Then this is probably Matt is where I have him. Um, but with with the thing with Matt again, this is just kind of from me gathering scouting reports, hearing people talk about him. Does he when he gets to the pros? Does he need to be in a Jared Goff type system where it's like, all right, Matt, this is your read, hit it, it'll be open, or can can he progress beyond that when he gets to the next level? I think that's the biggest question about Matt Corral entering the NFL just because he played in such a QB friendly system with that lane keeping system of where everything was run pass option. Like you very rarely ever see him going from one to two to three. Everything is what I like to call object reads. So with object reads, you're literally reading an object. So a linebacker or a safety, if that safety comes down and run support, you're throwing the slant behind his head. If he stays put, you just give the ball to the running back. So little things like that of where he, everything was so object read with him, but the thing about Corral is that everything is so quick with him. He has a lightning quick release. He has really quick feet. He has quick eyes. Everything is quick. And I always say if, you're, if your feet are not good at quarterback, you have no chance at being good, no matter what level that you're on, no matter how strong your arm is. If you're not good with your feet, you're not going to be good at quarterback. But with Corral, he has everything that you want in the lower half. It's kind of like – and you guys have had plenty of experience with Kyler Murray just – Think of how twitchy Kyler Murray is with everything that he does. It's just that it's that baseball background that he has. Everything's like a shortstop with Matt Corral. So the biggest learning curve for Corral is just going to be the offense that he that he is in. And that's just my biggest worry with him. I wouldn't say worry. I just want to see where he lands first and then the offense that he's in, just because I think that's gonna probably going to make or break his career just because you have to do so much RPO with him just because that's all he knows. And I would be hesitant with doing – progression-based stuff, whether it's half field or full field reach, just because the only exposure that he has during his career is so much RPO. I'm going to simplify something or explain something or actually have you explain it so I don't sound stupid. When we, we've, we've mentioned the term like you just did whole field or half field. Like how would, for, for me, our audience listening or watching, that's like, like Jordan, Chris, what are you guys talking about? 
what's the difference in a whole field and like a half field read for a quarterback? Yeah, so full field read means you have wide receivers on each side and all of them are in play. There's usually five total reads depending on how many eligible options that you have out on the field. Sometimes you use six-man or seven-man protections. Sometimes you may have two-man, three-man, or even four-man routes. So with full field reads, it's usually left to right or right to left um, depending on the read that you want. But with half field, you cut it off in a sense. So you're just reading the right side or you're just reading the left side. So that's pretty much the difference between full field and half field reads. See, I, Madden was on to something when they put the, the little vision uh, cone. Yeah, yep. the little vision cone. Yeah. Madden was on because that really is how guys see the field. You, you know? can literally is. stare down one receiver. The, the problem was Michael <laughs> Vick was crazy small. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to say, unless you were Michael Vick or Peyton Manning, Peyton Manning, you didn't have to move it at all because sure it was the didn't. whole field. Right, yeah, like Peyton Man, yeah. I felt I would have to turn it off with Vic. Well, Vic was on the cover of the 04 one, but it was a challenge to play with Vic. It it felt good when you could play with him and throw darts because he could throw that ball, but it the cone was just a sliver, man. Yeah, but moving that, I was like, Vic's got to be better than this. (laughs) (laughs) I think he improved throughout the year in that game. (laughs) If I'm Vic, I'm calling EA or whoever, like, hey, oh, yeah. I can throw the ball. I have <laughs> accuracy. I can see the field. <laughs> yeah, that was that that was crazy. But uh, stay, stay with some of these rookies. Um, is Matt? I mean, it's so funny comparing Matt um, to Malik because I make fun of deceptive speed and how coded some of the languages with the draft. All, all the white guys have deceptive speed. It's just the funniest thing. Go find a white receiver in this class. Look at the comps and see, I mean, take a take a shot every time you see Braxton Berrios or, or yeah. <laughs> Hunter Renfro. It's just it's it's so funny. But is in the sense that Malik and Matt maybe can both be used at the NFL level as not the focal point, but a heavy part of the run game and the passing game. Are they similar in that regard, Matt and, and Malik? Somewhat. I think Malik is a stronger runner than Matt. But the big thing with Matt is that he just has to protect himself. That's why he's had so many durability issues and concerns. I mean, you saw it in the bowl game against Baylor of where like he's just a crash dummy that I like to call. He just throws his body into guys and it's like, man, you're not going to survive if you do that on the next level. And Matt's not a big guy at all. I mean, he's only about six foot one, around 205 pounds. And just seeing him in person, he's not an overly big guy at all. Now with Malik, He's built much different. He kind of has that like running back build of where he's really thick in his lower half. But with Malik, he understands how to protect himself. He gets down. But with Matt, just go watch the Tennessee game. He had 30 carries in that game. And yeah, he had 30 total. And it was just a crash course, a collision course. He was in a car crash the entire game. And I'm just like, man, this dude is not going to last. He's got to learn to protect himself. He sounded a lot like Mike Vick because he did not understand how to slide either. He would get destroyed. Yeah. Carson Wentz, too, doesn't really oh, like yeah. protect yeah. himself. Yeah, Might yeah. have to get a course going, Jordan, on how to slide. Yeah. I want to stick with Matt here. When you watch the tape, watch the film on Matt, what stood out with you when you watched him? And then what are things that you're like, I need to see him be better at this at the next level? Yeah, well, I'll just start with what he needs to work on. And something that I thought he got much better at is just taking care of the football. Turnovers was a big problem for him in 2020. He actually had 11 interceptions in two games alone. Uh, he threw six. Yeah, he threw six against Arkansas and he threw five against LSU. But last year, total, he threw five interceptions mm-hmm. in the entire season. So he took much better care of the football and then just protecting himself like we talked about. He just has to learn to slide. Otherwise, he's not going to last. And he acknowledged that at the combine. And he said teams have been telling them that, like, like, man, why did you not slide? Just because you're not going to last in the NFL if you don't learn how to slide. So the durability issues is something that I think is going to continue to creep up with him if he doesn't learn how to slide. Now, what he does well, everything is quick with him. Like I keep saying that, like – 
it doesn't take you long to realize just how well he marries his eyes, his feet, and then also his arm. Everything is just in sync together. And then he can flip his hips in an instant. Um, he doesn't need the laces to throw the football. He can get it out really quickly as soon as he catches it. I like to call it gripping and ripping throws. He's really good at those at those type of throws whenever he gets the ball. So everything is quick with him. He has really quick eyes, quick feet. And I think he's so sudden in his lower half, and I think that's going to help him a lot on the next level. You mentioned protecting yourself, and you play quarterback. What is up with quarterbacks not realizing the magnitude of, damn, I'm going up against guys that are, you know, linebackers at 250. Maybe I should slide here. Like, what? Go I, I guess I can't ask you what goes through his mind because you're not in his mind, but someone that played the game, what do you think he's thinking? Like, I can get the extra yard. What is going through their minds of, I can really make a play here when – at you know, you're risking, you know, your career right here at this point. He just hasn't took the wrong kit yet. That's all. Oh. <laughs> all oh, it takes okay. is the wrong kit. All it hey, takes all right. is the wrong kit. <laughs> you know, That's crazy. all it takes. It sucks because, I don't want to say it sucks, but, like, you take them hits and, like, boy, everybody in the locker room is going to love you. You're putting your body on the line. I'm coaches yeah. slapping you on the butt. Is you know, it worth it, though? Yeah, well, yeah. Well, then you you end up in the cold tub or the ambulance <laughs> or the training room, you know, Saturday, Sunday morning for play, uh, college players. You're in there by yourself. <laughs> uh -huh. Ain't nobody dapping you up because they don't need their ankle <laughs> taped 30 times. Right. Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz learned after he tore his ACL, taking a hit. And if you notice, he completely changed after that, yeah. too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well said. No, he hasn't it, taken a hit yet. Okay, all right. There it is. Yeah, no, I mean, there's a lot to learn by getting hit, uh, taking a really hard hit, as Chris Rock can probably attest. <laughs> no, I had to slide. Had to slide. It was a Come on, second. man. It was, hey, man, the world's a better place when people have some consequences behind what they say. Maybe not Chris in specific, but like, hey, in general, I like, guess that's, that's how we grew up. Oh, you know, my goodness. You know, <laughs> anyway, let's, let's, stick, let's stick with these QBs. Uh, let's, let's go to Kenny, uh, two glove, Kenny Pickett. Uh, maybe even uh, what people consider the, the, the most pro-ready guy when I read about him, hear people talk about him. Yeah, it seems like it got some arm strength. He's accurate. He can anticipate throws, which I don't think we've talked much about anticipation, but that might be one of the top three traits you want to see as well. Can throw off-platform, which John Schneider loves every day of the week and twice on Sunday if you can throw off-platform. If this guy can do all that, like he's got to be QB1, right? I mean, yeah, for some people, he will be. I still have Malik Willis ahead of him right now. The biggest issue, and I tell everybody this, that you worry about with Kenny Pickett is that is he a quarterback that you can win because of? Just because I think the ceiling isn't as high as some of the other quarterbacks. So you're going to run into the issue of do I sign this guy to the next contract just because he's probably never going to win those big-time games against the Mahomes and the Josh Allens of the world and players like that. So – I love my colleague Mel Kuyper's comparison for him of Derek Carr. That's really the high-end comparison for Kenny Pickett. But I think the low-end comparison for him of who he can be is Andy Dalton. And with Andy Dalton, he'll get you to the playoffs. But the issue becomes, can he beat those teams in the playoffs? So I think that's always going to be the issue with Kenny. I think he has B-level arm strength right now. And he's the most experienced of the bunch. He's played in 52 career games. He has 49 career starts. So he has plenty of starts to his credit. But there's some things from a ceiling perspective that I worry about with him right now. You know, that makes him an interesting uh, prospect for someone like Seattle. If, you know, he lasts beyond, you know, the, um, the Panthers at six, let's assume he does. Because Pete will tell you that, you know, I don't even need him to go to battle with Mahomes. You know, like Pete Pete saw that Josh Allen Mahomes duel in the playoffs and was like, I mean, that's cute. But like, did you guys see how uh, what's my name? I mean, in, in New England, 
the rookie they just had. Mac right? Jones. Like, yeah. Like, did you see Mac Jones only throw it three times and win a game? Like, that's kind of, <laughs> I swear, that's like Pete's mind. So he he's actually cool with a guy who maybe you win with because he feels, whether this is accurate or not, he has all the tools to win with, like run game, defense. Again, there's some holes in that argument. That's his thought process. If, if let's say, the Panthers are like, ah, we don't need Kenny at six. And Pete Carroll sees a guy in Kenny that he can win uh, with. Is that is that too high of a pick for Seattle for Kenny? I mean, I think the Panthers are going to have an interest in him at six. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if he goes in the top ten just because of the experience that he has. And it's kind of like, and I love using other sports analogies, of Malik Willis is that home run swing. Like you're swinging for the fences. You have no idea what's going to come of it but you're going to go up there and you're going to try with Kenny Pickett. It's kind of like you're attempting to get on second or third base. So you're trying to get a double or a triple, but you know that you're going to get on base. Uh, and th- I mean, that's the best way that I can put it with 22. You're just aiming to get on base with him. You know, he's going to come in. He's going to be pro ready. He's going to know where to go with the football. He's going to be accurate. He's going to digest the playbook and be very good at it. But the thing about that type of model is that it's just not sustainable. And that was my big worry with Mac Jones of where you can have a strong running game, you can have a good defense, but eventually your quarterback has to make plays. And while that may work for one to two years, if you want to have sustained success, you're always going to worry about having that type of quarterback just because you're not always going to have a good defense. You're not always going to have a good running game. So that quarterback is eventually going to have to make some type of plays. And I'm with Pete as far as if he's just trying to win a game or two with that type of model. But if we're talking about sustained success over five to six years or even more, I just don't think that type of model is sustainable. Chris, just so you know, those were those were baseball references. I know you don't watch any baseball. <laughs> Did you know? Did you know Today, that baseball was on? Yeah, you yeah, knew. Okay, know. Chris yes. watches no baseball whatsoever. Can like you blame me, Jordan? I mean, I have to be. I have to be at. I have to be physically at the ballpark to watch baseball. <laughs> I just can't watch it on TV. I'm not a big fan of low scoring sports. Mm, Soccer, you know, yeah, baseball, on Hockey. TV. I should say on TV. I just can't watch it. No, I hear you on that. I'm going to get to my quarterback, all right? Oh, we're Sam, gonna, we're here, your guy we're now. We're going to go right. to Sam Howell, okay? And I think he's he's exciting. There, there's some there's some things that stood out to me, and I'm like, okay, okay, I like it. But when you flipped on the tape and you watch Sam, what are some things that you're like, I like about this guy? And then here are some things that he needs to work on, kind of like you did with Corral. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Yeah, so I'll just start with the negatives first. And very similar to Corral, he played in very RPO-oriented offense of where everything was either go ball or it was slants over the middle of the field. But he has the quick feet that you're looking for, has a very strong arm. I think he's the best deep ball thrower of any quarterback um, in this draft. And just having experience with seeing Sam, I was able to see him live, and I was at his pro day too. I mean, he throws a he throws a beautiful football. Like the ball comes out of his hand with plenty of energy. He's very accurate, and he knows where to go with the ball. But once again, different type of footwork in that offense. And then also the thing that I think happened to Sam early on in the year, he lost his top four weapons and his two running backs, Michael Carter, Javante Williams, and then also his two perimeter weapons and De'Ami Brown and then also Daz Newsom. So like Malik Willis, he was just trying to do way too much just because he was learning new weapons. He was trying to get acclimated to those guys. He just didn't have any chemistry with them early on just because he had so much success with those four guys. And whenever you lose what was 97% of their offense, That's just really, really hard to overcome. So he just took too much onus on his shoulders of where he was just trying to do way, way too much. That's what happened against Virginia Tech in the season opener way through three interceptions, I believe it was. And then he just didn't really overcome any of that until about midseason. But I thought he played well down the backstretch of the year just because he understood like, hey, I don't have to do all of that like I'm trying to do. But where he did improve was his ability to run the football. I think that was an adjustment that they made of where that's a lot of production that you lose in the backfield. And Ty Chandler's a good player. I like Ty Chandler, but he wasn't Michael Carter and Javante Williams for that offense. But with Sam, in the first two years of his career, he had 180 rushing yards combined in two years. Last year, he had over 850 rushing yards. That just goes to show you that he was much more acclimated and involved in a designed quarterback run game. And that's something that he admitted that he enjoyed doing. But that's not a part of his game that he wants to be on the next level just because he wants to throw the football. So I think with him, it was just a matter of accepting what he had to do in the offense. And he wasn't able to overcome some of that or plan some of that hero ball early on. But as far as throwing the football, I think he has it. There we go. Ten years ago, the Seahawks, they took Bruce Irving in the first round, traded up to get him. That is Bobby in the second round. And then they went Russ in the third with Sam and Howell or Sam Howell and Matt Corral being second, third round options, does it look like the Seahawks are going to try to get these guys in the later rounds, considering if they do, in fact, like what they're bringing to the table, which is the quote on game manager? I think Seattle's in a perfect spot to take either one of those guys at 40 or 41. And even having those picks back to back, you could trade up in the back end of the first round and get one of those guys, one of those guys that you're targeting just because I think somehow it was going to be there. 
Um, I don't know about Corral just because he's really, really hard to get a gauge on Corral's draft stock right now just because we haven't seen him a whole bunch. And if you think about it, we've seen all these guys in the pre-draft process. All of them played in the senior bowl. We didn't get to see Corral in the senior bowl. Obviously, he wasn't eligible for it. But we saw how we saw Ritter. We saw Willis. Uh, we saw all these guys, uh, Carson Strong, we even seen him a whole bunch throughout the process. So Corral's really hard to get a gauge on right now, but how I think he's one that could go much earlier than what a lot of people are predicting right now. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if he goes in the first round. It wouldn't surprise me if he goes in the second round or even if he lasts into the third round. That's just how crazy <laughs> the this quarterback class is. So, um, I mean, I like how I like him a lot, actually. Um, but it's just a matter of, once again, the offense and the situation that he goes to and just understanding what he had to overcome early on. And I think a lot of people aren't really taking that into account when they're grading Sam Howell, too. That's do, fair. Do quarter, quarterbacks have smaller pads than everyone else, right? Have that yeah. correct? Yeah. I, I'm sorry. You've said some numbers that have just kind of made the the throwing. What do you do? Twelve. Somebody do eleven picks in two games. Yeah, that Corral. was. Yeah. Cool. yeah, and the other number was just now was at ninety seven percent of the offense or something like that Gone. that they lost. The yeah. other one was rushing it thirty times against Tennessee when you got smaller yeah. pads than everybody else. Like there's some. If I'd have had that was Corral, right? Yep. Yeah. If I'd have had Corral in the in the room at like the combine, I might have been the first thing. I'm like, boy, I wouldn't call him boy. Like young man. What the hell were you thinking? <laughs> Running it 30 times against an SC. You'd run 30 times against, like, I don't know. Give me some Idaho. school. Yeah, Idaho. <laughs> yeah. You don't run it you 30 don't even times. Do that. You shouldn't yeah. have to play after the third quarter. It's <laughs> yeah. Idaho. As someone who has watched a lot of Idaho football. Um, See what I did there for you, yeah, Mike? <laughs> no, I watched them lose to Florida State. I watched them lose to USC. I've watched them lose some pretty bad games. Yeah, you should. I've watched them lose to Auburn. Yeah, 30 times in the SEC. I wouldn't even want my running back doing that. To be, right. to be that's dangerous. So that 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 is brutal. What um I I mentioned anticipate uh, anticipate. Ooh, anticipation. Right. Anticipation. Ooh. Good God! I I first I was wondering, is Mike got a new word? I know. I'm sober, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Just to, to make that make that clear. Just uh in terms of that specific trait, I'm not even gonna try to mess the word up. Who's maybe the best uh with that in this class? Uh, that's a really good question. Um, I think Ritter and then also Pickett. I think those two, wow. well, I should say all those guys are good at it outside of Willis. Um, I think those guys really have a lot of experience as far as at anticipatory throws. That's what, that's what I like to call them. But, I mean, all these guys are really good with anticipation, but Ritter and Pickett are probably the two best of the bunch right now. How more so in the RPO run pass option game just because he has so much experience doing it. You can see him testing some of those second window throws and throwing behind the heads and the ears of those safeties quite a bit. So I don't really count that as anticipation, uh, excuse me, anticipatory throws. I can't say it either. Mike, Mike rubbing off of me trying to say that word, but yeah, I think Ritter and also Pickett, I think they're probably the two best of the bunch of those anticipation throws. Is that something that can improve? Just like I asked about accuracy. Can you get better at anticipation? There you go. See, I got it that time. Yeah, it's just all about comfort with that, just because in order to anticipate, you have to know where guys are going to be. If you don't know where guys are going to be, you can't anticipate where they're going to be. So once they understand the playbook, they understand processing and reading coverages where guys are going to be. It's just a matter of just knowing where they're going to be in order to make those type of anticipation throws. Yeah, honestly, I mean, we didn't this we're focusing on our rookies, but that was really my I'm going to ask you about him just right now. I know we didn't plan on it, but that's kind of my big issue when I go back and watch some of Drew Locke. Like I find yeah. myself yelling at my laptop like, hey, yo, Drew, he there. And then I was like, oh, well, now you see it. But now the defender has it now, Drew. You see that now we lost the ball. <laughs> I'm seeing that in 2019. I'm seeing that in 2020. I didn't watch uh, much of his 2021 
but when you were assuming you looked at him coming out in 2019, is that what you saw as well? Yeah, there were quite a few issues with Drew Locke, and I think that's why he ended up slipping to the second round as a very, very strong arm. I mean, Drew is very gifted as far as being able to throw the football, as far as distance, accuracy is something that he's always struggled with. He's always hovered around that 60 percentile range, uh, 60 percent range, I should say, as far as accuracy. He had some years of where he was in the 50s at Mizzou. And then another issue with Locke is that for whatever reason, he just fades away on all of his throws. And I have no idea. I think it's just a bad habit that he created at some point in his life. He just doesn't step into a lot of his throws. And you guys will notice it whenever you see him next year that he just fades away for unnecessary reasons. And with that, it just puts so much pressure on his arm. And he, he's sacrificial with his accuracy when he's not stepping into his throws. And if you kind of think of a pitcher, stepping off of a mound or pitching off of a mound, that strong lead leg going into uh, throwing the ball off of the mound, that lead leg is where you get your accuracy. If you fall back off of that lead leg, just think of a pitcher throwing the ball and then just fading away from the mound. You just have no idea where the ball is going to go. So that's how you get your ball placement with him. So that's why I think he's always been an inaccurate passer just because he fades away on so many of his throws. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Man, it's uh, not basketball out here, man. No, well, it kind of <laughs> does sound like basketball with the fadeaway, but it makes sense because Drew wears a shooting sleeve, <laughs> which is, I mean, I think it's cool, but I'm like, at the same time, it's like, you Keep can't. Keep the elbow on. Yeah, like, hold on, man. You're wearing a shooting sleeve. It's football. You fading away. You're throwing interceptions. These dudes don't throw 20 interceptions. I think 21 starts. That's 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 just way, way too much. Um, You've given us some pro comps with some of these guys. I like the Derek Carr-ish uh, uh, comp. Um. Let's see. You got a comp for, I don't know if you gave us one for Sam Howell. Do you have one for him? I mean, everybody's going to use Baker Mayfield, and I think that one is pretty Ooh. fair. Um, I, Mike I think, doesn't like Baker. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't a huge fan of Baker coming, coming okay, out. No, I, need to, I need to defend but that. As far as just like, just like the mannerisms, the build, I mean, I see it, and I don't have one that I'm like fully comfortable with. And I think something else a lot of people have to understand about comps is that it's not necessarily just projecting who they're going to be on the next level. I just think right. there's some some little playing styles and takeaways that they have as far as the traits of the attributes that are similar. I think that's where a lot of people – that's why I say using comps is such a slippery slope. If you go out here and you say, oh, this guy's DK Metcalf, they're mm-hmm. automatically going to assume he's going to turn into one of the best young receivers in the league. But, no, you're just saying that he has a lot of similar qualities and he plays like DK. So I think that's what – it's kind of a slippery slope once again when you're comparing Sam to Baker Mayfield when in rea- reality, excuse me, we're just saying that he has a lot of similar qualities that Baker had walking through the door in the NFL. So he kind of, I got to I was going to say he looked like yeah, Baker. I just pulled up his picture. I know everybody on YouTube. <laughs> Looks just like him, man. Yeah, he kind of looked like, but I didn't really know what yeah. a lot of these guys look like. It's uh, like when I asked that question about uh, Matt and Malik both maybe being part of the run game, I was like, hold on, let me make sure. Is Matt Corral white? And he is. But yes. You never, I mean, I don't watch a lot of college football. So I did see Matt hurt yeah, his ankle. Sam, Sam Howe is actually Korean, believe it or not. Whoa. Oh. 
What? Yeah. Never judge a book by its cover. That's crazy. Yeah. I follow Mina exactly Kimes. How, does, how do I not know that? She shouts out every Asian ever. That's that's, that's crazy. Wow. We learn something new every day. No, we do. We do. That's what happens when we have somebody who's like studied this more than more, more than we do. Chris said I don't like Baker. That's not true. It's not I, entirely true. My thing with Seahawk fans who ask me should they trade for him, my skeptic, my uh, I'm skeptical apprehension is maybe the better <laughs> uh, vocabulary where to use there is that I think in 2020 Baker had the most ideal setup that's comparable to what Seattle wanted. They ran the ball at a really high level and had two running backs doing it. They had a really great uh, uh, offensive line, perhaps one of the best in football. Their defense was at least decent enough. It wasn't Legion of boom. And that's why they made the playoffs. And then Baker still ain't the guy like in those uh, ideal circumstances. If you were not the guy in that, you're going to come here with a not as good offensive line, perhaps a not as good run game and a not as good defense. You really ain't going to be the guy over here. So I'm not going to pay you $18 million to not be the guy over here. If you were barely the guy over there, that's all. I like Baker's attitude and how he kicks it. You know, like his commercials. Uh, I don't even see that. his commercials. I saw him with his, he had his draws out and he was next to a tiger in some ad. <laughs> I don't really know what that was about. I don't, I don't, I don't know, but that, that was, that's, I don't dislike Baker, you know, uh, it's funny just now he wants out. Everybody wants out of Cleveland. It's, it's crazy. Uh, Makes sense. We're going to put you on the spot, Jordan. We know you're an NFL draft analyst for ESPN, doing big things over there. But right now we're going to give you a promotion. You are now the general manager of the Seahawks for the, uh, all intents and purposes right now. And you need to take a quarterback. doesn't really matter what round. Let's say, hey, Jordan, we need a quarterback. Like we can't do the Drew Locke thing. can't do the Geno Smith thing. We can't do the Jacob Eason thing. We need a quarterback. You're the GM of the Seahawks right now. Who are they taking, and uh, what round do they take him in? Well, I mean, if Malik Willis is there at nine, I would take him just because he's the mm. one in this group that I would feel the most comfortable taking in the first round. Now, with Seattle's situation, I would like to bring in a veteran to be ahead of him just because I wouldn't feel comfortable with Drew Locke being that guy. I think Malik would eventually outplay him in camp. I think it would be a no-brainer, honestly, who should start <laughs> between the two. So I would look to bring in some type of veteran competition potentially to add ahead of him just because I don't think he's going to be ready. Now, if you use those two second-round picks on offensive linemen, that could change the outlook of a lot of things. But I just think you need to have that veteran in front of him just because he's not going to be ready. Now, with Seattle, I think with what Pete wants to do as far as a strong running game, already having the weapons, I think Malik – definitely fits in really well with that offense. But just speaking with imaginary terms right here, I don't know what's going to happen with that as far as how they're going to use those two second rounders and then what's going to happen at the QB one spot. But if Malik is there at nine, I mean, I would run the card in really, really fast. I think it would be a really good fit in Seattle if they sign a veteran in front of them. Okay. I mean, I think the thing that we have to remember about the NFL draft in this time of year is that when it comes to predicting what the Seahawks will do, no one knows anything. No, it's impossible. <laughs> we don't know shit. No. I, we really, yeah. and I'm I'm proud of that. Yeah, because I, I don't want to pretend. So it makes it fun. I'll never it forget is. the. I'll never forget the LJ Collier pick. That was one of oh, the yeah. most surprising hey, bro, things I like, that I huh. ever seen. Okay. Um, and they've been doing that huh. for three years consistently. Well, uh, yeah, let's exclude the D Eskridge pick, yeah. but like, yeah, I had no. I did not think they were going to take Rashad Penny. You know, I yeah. did not think I thought they were going to take LJ Collier. I mocked him to them. I think I like pick 46 uh, or whatever pick they had maybe later, not at 29, whatever they had. And then the year they took Jordan Brooks. I'm like, All right, that was that's not really. One. I see my that hands up like, one. hey, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I give up, y'all. <laughs> nobody, nobody predicted Jordan that. Brooks. Where's OK. Oh. 
Interesting. All right. Well, one more thing, I'm gonna leave before we get you out of here. Is he the guy most likely of this class to be the quarterback that you win because of? Yeah, I think so. Just because of the upside, and if you think about it, all the quarterbacks that have had success in the league, whether it's Herbert or Burrow, um, Josh Allen, in the sense of where you have to have some type of mobility walking through the door. Just because if you think about the ones that haven't worked out, whether it's Dwayne Haskins or Josh Rose and some of these more traditional pocket passers, I think those type of quarterbacks are pretty much starting to become extinct. And I know Mac Jones is kind of holding the candle right now as far as being that type mm-hmm. of guy. But just think about some of the players that have already had success in that draft class. I think Trevor is going to be better next year. Field is going to get an opportunity to play as a full-time starter this year. And Trey Lance, we'll see what does happen with that. But as far as the quarterbacks that have had the most success early on right away, they've had some type of mobility. That's why I would feel comfortable with guys like Malik and Ritter and then even Pickett in a sense. But I just think that's one of the prerequisites that you have to have. And I actually use that in my grades now of where if you don't have any type of mobility, it's just so hard for you to win in today's day and age in the NFL. Yeah, I think that that that's kind of an antiquated like skill set to be a um what I can't remember dude from the Patriots name. Mac Jones. Mac Jones. Mac Jones. Goodness. Yeah, to be a Mac Jones. Who? Even Matt Matt Ryan, Drew Brees, like those guys thrive. Even Phillip Rivers, you just can't be that now. You you just can't. I need you to at least be able to slide and get out the way and then throw that joint 40 yards. Like yeah. if you if you can't do that, I can't I can't take you in any round to be can't do that. nothing with you. Yeah, because you're you're, you're gonna right. die that's back why there. that's why i think a guy like carson strong i just have no idea where he's gonna go in his draft class just because he's a traditional pocket passer and then also he has the knee issues too so i don't know man yeah <laughs> we'll i was gonna ask you about him but then i was like yeah. he's a pocket passer that's the from nevada right? yeah that's yeah. the last in the yeah. seahawks when a guy that's just stationary can't move yeah he right. can throw he can rip the ball but if he can't move that's just a problem in the offense. Yeah. yeah. Well, the, the Seahawks offense. I contend me. right now. I mean, there's a, we don't have to do a whole argument on this, but I think the defensive ends in the NFL are by the freakiest athletes on the field. But uh, on any given snap, I just like saw a guy that's I think in high school or college running a four or a ten three in the hundred. I'm talking about just specifically in the NFL. Like the first yeah. time I seen Frank Clark in practice, I was like, "There's no way he's not the best athlete on the team." Oh yeah, like he could, like in terms of just quick twitch, bend, strength, physical strength, jump in. Like I was and just just I was like, Frank Clark's the best athlete on the team. This is like 2018. Like this is this is insane. And you look at like who's the who's the best edge rusher in the league right now. Probably my Miles um, Garrett. I was Miles Garrett. TJ. That was TJ Watt. TJ Watt and Miles Garrett look like pro wrestlers. Like, yeah. well, we just saw him hooping. He was over here dunking and going crazy. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. Miles was in the celebrity game. Yeah, he was yeah. looking. Yeah, yeah. give him the ball. Those guys are the- <laughs> built built like an action figure, man. That yeah, 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 yeah. Miles Garrett looked like a Spartan. Like, <laughs> if you can't run away from him, you're gonna die. Pretty much. Very well That's said. What, to go back to the QB mobility. If you can't get away from him. <laughs> You can't just rely on your left tackle to get because he's going to get thrown to the ground. Right. You know, very. Uh, all right. That, ladies and gentlemen, that is Jordan Reed, NFL draft analyst for ESPN. Does such great work, man. Like, I need to give Chris my ESPN uh, logging so you can read to see stuff, everything. Because I was like, oh, this is great work, man. Like, I rely on you to, like, remember, what, you know how I was kind of saying during the show, like, oh, yeah, according to what I've read, I'm just reading you. I'm reading you. I'm reading Dane Brugler. Uh, PFF's yeah. draft guide has been kind of useful. I'm glad. Danny Dane's, Kelly. Yeah, I'm glad Danny Kelly, the ringer shot to Danny. I'm glad, But just like, I don't read that many people. I, like, keep it pretty tight. People I trust, people I think know what the hell they're talking about. So, everybody, please, if you're listening right now, where can they follow you on Twitter, Jordan? Let's do that. Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter at Jordan, that's J-O-R-D-A-N underscore Reed, R-E-I-D. 
have stuff on ESPN Plus and also ESPN.com posting every week. Uh, pretty much me, myself, or excuse me, me, myself, my colleagues, Matt Miller, <laughs> then also Mel Kuyper and Todd McShay. We have stuff going up every week. I actually have a seven-round mock draft, all 262 picks going Ooh. up next week. So, Seahawks fans, you will have plenty to talk crap to me about <laughs> next week. I'm looking forward to that, as well as all other 32 fan bases. Um, be on Sports Center, get up, all that other stuff. Um, from now up until the draft, so I'm excited. Yeah, we see you on TV. Smiling. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I talked to Jordan. I watched the TV. My grandma, he came on the TV. I was at my grandma's house. I was like, "Granny, like, you know, I know that guy right there." She's like, "Oh, you know him." I do that with Cam <laughs> Wolf NFL Network too. I'd be like, "Granny, you know, I, he was at my birthday party because Cam Cam kicked it with me for my birthday yeah. last year." Cam's so, a good yeah, dude, man. man. Oh yeah, yeah, no, super great guys. Thank you, Jordan. Appreciate, Appreciate you, man. Thank you guys for all tuning in to the Seahawks Man to Man podcast. We're gonna keep it going, man. We're gonna we're gonna dive into all this stuff. We're gonna break down every position group we can. Me and Chris are gonna pretend we know what we're talking about while we bring in experts to fill in the gaps there. Uh, subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, The Athletic, whatever you got to do. Um, thank you so much for all the support and the love. On that note, y'all, we out. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.